electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour are signs of a weakening rally, a warning for your money, or will a flood of earnings next week and those low interest rates send stocks higher? We'll debate that and the state of play with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour this Friday, Jenny Harrington, Rob Seachin, Steve Weiss, John Najarian. Good to see everybody. Stocks are trying to post their fourth consecutive positive week of gains, and they have a little bit of work to do today. We are negative across the board. Yields right at 131 on the 10-year. Got a hot retail number today. John Najarian, so we ask what the state of play is right now, okay, and whether it's a sign Mm -hmm. that the rally itself is weakening. I'll point it out, okay? Breath. It's narrowed significantly. You've got money flowing into big tech, as we know, and the Russell 2000 equal weight has been lagging. You've got Bitcoin down. You've got SPAC indexes has come down uh, substantially. The ARK stocks have been correcting uh, substantially as well. The innovation fund is down 6% year to date. Uh, Do we have a weakening rally? Um, I think we've got a pause right now, Scott. Uh, I don't think we've got a weakening rally. I think the pause is just that uh, the real tech drivers are coming in a couple weeks. They're not here this week. We knew that bank earnings would be somewhat challenged by the interest rate picture that we've got right now. That's not a surprise to anybody. Um, And they did not make significant corrections or anything. They had been somewhat, you know, meandering into the earnings themselves. And I I think, Scott, it's really more about the consumer and how this spending is working. I mean, looking at, uh, I think yesterday we talked about how many records Target has set day after day after day. Obviously, demand being the driver there. Do they have enough supply? At least at Target and Walmart, they appear to. Uh, I think Home Depot is going to be in that category, too. Uh, But I think the, the issue here is that Reopening, yeah, there's been a lot of that. And we know that, according to uh, Moynihan over at Bank America, only about 30% of the money uh, that people got in those direct deposited checks into Bank America has been spent. So that tells me, Scott, that we are indeed looking at not transitory, but years worth of demand out there uh, that people have the ability to spend. And, you know, spend they have. Restaurants, 40% this June over last June. And yet we know last June was locked down. But how about this number? Sales overall, sales, retail sales, 18%, Scott. Mm -hmm. Um, That's better than it was in the pre-pandemic time. So obviously all this money sloshing around to Jeff's point yesterday, Gunlock, was that it's looking for a home. Um, In many cases, consumers have found that to be uh, at stores. Um, Not so much at furniture because they can't get it. Not so much at appliances because they can't get them. Um, But automobiles, uh, as well as, you know, going back into malls, which were empty during much of the pandemic. So, Steve Weiss, um, you were with us the other day. You called in. You talked about the fact that you sold Boeing. 
I picked up your comments that you said we didn't really get into detail about them at the time, but we will now. You said you were a little concerned about the, the market. You had been raising some cash. I looked at your moves today and they speak to that. You sold Taiwan Semi. You sold Freeport. Those have been two of your consistent plays of late. You have puts on Peloton now. Again, I mentioned the ARK Innovation Fund is down um, substantially. Those stocks are 6% year to date now. You're short Alibaba. We have issues, obviously, with, with Chinese regulators and specific issues to those uh, names over in China. You're, sh- you're also short the USO, the U.S. Oil Fund. Um, so do we have a, a weakening rally here? Is, is that how you see it? Because we've gotten more narrow than we have been in a while? There are a couple things. Uh, first of all, my concerns had been coming into these warmer months that you'd see the retail money that had been pumping up the market and pumping up names like Peloton, for example, start to go outside. And not only because the pandemic's over, because the weather's warmer. So they're tired of being indoors for the last year, year and change. That would take them away from the screens and they'll go back to what their other hobbies were before they were trading. And the funny thing about this is that people that get in at the top tend to sell pretty aggressively as the market pulls down. So I was concerned about that. That's happening a little bit. I also thought we got a little bit ahead of ourselves in terms of some of the reopening industrial plays. And they've been weakening. Sure, we have a Honeywell that's hit a new high, but Honeywell hadn't done anything for months and months. So I think it's an opportunity. I took the opportunity to sell some things I was unsure of. I was worried about copper because that seemed to have the most, uh, the most amount of momentum in it in terms of people going in. But conversely, I also add to Cleveland Cliffs which has been down because I think the fundamentals of iron ore will be much stronger. I'll come back to Freeport, uh, but just right now, because not right now, because I think it'll be weakening. In terms of BABA, that's idiosyncratic. The stock had bounced about 10% or more since the lows when the DD news came out. And I just don't think this is the end of it. And I continue to believe that it's only going to get worse with the Chinese stocks. And I can't believe that responsible portfolio managers are willing to show this to their investors and say, yeah, I can figure out China. There's value here. You have no idea if there's value or not. And the VIE structures that they're under, those contracts, according to a good school of thought, legal thought, may not even be enforceable. So there's a potential you can go belly up in those Mm -hmm. as a shareholder of the ADR. I don't think so, but definitely deserves a bigger discount valuation than what you have. So, so look, yeah, I think it's time to separate what, you know, your portfolio from the momentum ideas that, that have been working, and that includes some real companies, not only the ones up in fluff, and concentrate your portfolio, and concentration typically does lead to greater returns than what we saw before. So we've said it so many times, stock pickers market, it is, I also think it's a higher quality market, and that's where you have to be. Okay, so, so I don't think the bull market's over. I just think we're at a pause. Yeah, I mean, I don't have I, I don't recall anybody really coming forth and suggesting that the bull market itself is over. But, you know, you have had calls recently for a, a correction from more than one corner um, for many of the reasons that mm-hmm. we're simply suggesting now. The point is, though, Jenny, despite all of that, I looked on our screen as Steve was talking and I saw that little thing on the bottom right called the 10 year note yield and it's sitting at one point three one percent. Maybe that trumps everything because rates are low. And at least according to Jeffrey Gunlock, who we spoke to exclusively yesterday, that is the reason why stocks can still be considered attractive 
in this kind of environment. Let's listen to Gunlock and we can react on the other side. The biggest case for stocks is that they're cheap to bonds. They still are cheap to bonds because the bond yield is so ridiculously low. And you also have the Fed doing their quantitative easing. And it still remains the case that there is almost a constant, so it's almost like a law of physics, that if you take the Fed's balance sheet and divide it by the uh, market cap of the S&P 500, it seems to be a constant. And this is true going back like 10 years. So the Fed continues with their uh, bond buying and they continue to suppress interest rates and that's been supporting the stock market. And that's not ending anytime soon, right, Jenny? So I, breadth, okay, it's narrowed considerably, right? Okay, ARK stocks, they've come down, yeah, whatever. Bitcoin's gone from 60,000 to 30,000, the SPAC index, the chart doesn't look great either, but it doesn't matter because rates are so low. And as long as that's the fact and the Fed has that spigot on, stocks are still attractive, right? You agree? I think that's right. Yeah, I do agree. I don't often agree with Gunlack, but I think he's absolutely spot on here. In fact, in the last week, we've sent our quarterly letter out to clients, and yesterday we did our, our um, quarterly conference call with clients, and we lay out this whole scenario, right, of like, here's, you know, here's what's out there. There's inflation, there's tapering, there's this, there's that, you know, there's high valuations, there's so much going on out there. And what we concluded is, but ultimately you don't fight the Fed. And we showed our clients a picture of exactly what Jeffrey Gunlack was referring to, which was the correlation between the Fed's balance sheet and the S&P 500. And we need to remember that even though there's going to be tapering, that balance sheet will continue to expand. All that means is that the 120 a month is going to like 105, going to 90, you know, but the balance sheet will continue to expand. And so I think with all that's out there, with all the problems that you have, with all the geopolitical tensions, you can boil it all down to don't fight the Fed because they will continue to pump money into the economy for the next six to nine months, and that finds its way into the equity markets. So you could just do that. You could say, okay, and with the 10-year at 1.31, there is no alternative, which is essentially what he's saying too. They're kind of a chicken and the egg scenario, but I think that's right. You know, Steve, um, Steve said something really important before too, which was, um, we're moving away from screens. And he said it's a stock picker's market and that there's higher quality. So it's interesting as you look at the market right now and you say, eh, we're kind of weak today. We might not have this big gain. But the reality is, is the S&P is still up 17% on the year. It's up 2% this quarter alone. Yeah, there's a lot of noise beneath the surface of that. Um, but it's a pretty decent place, I think, to remain invested in stocks. And that's where we're keeping our clients fully you know, invested right now. Rob Seachin, um, the Fed can be entirely wrong, right? I mean, they've already been kind of wrong, right? They admit themselves, Powell did on the Hill over the last couple of days, that inflation's up more than they expected. And it can remain more elevated than they think for a longer period of time than they themselves thought it would. But as long as the liquidity's flowing, does any of that matter yet? Gunlock's point is, hey, play the game you've got in front of you, and that's low rates, liquidity, which is why even though Heath says that valuations are extremely expensive, I think those were the words that he used, mm -hmm. that stocks can still be attractive in that kind of an environment. Uh, especially when you see the earnings growth that we're seeing, we're seeing now. And, and the one thing that I would point out is interest rates are low, not just because of the Fed. Interest rates are low because of a dispersion in expectations of, uh, of uh, on inflation as well as interest rates. And when you get consensus, that's when interest rates will begin to move. And I, I do believe there is 
inflation. I do believe it's it's going to be more persistent uh, than most think, but it's going to take time for that to play out. You know, our view is we expect some vol short term because of some of the things that everybody talked about, the narrowing of breath, the volatility beneath the surface. Uh, Mike Wilson talks about, you know, how you've seen major corrections in in individual stocks and in, in, in certain sectors. Um, so we expect that fall, but we're staying invested, um, diversified, barbell exposure. We have the new defensives, our tech exposure. We also have cyclical exposure. And the reason is, despite the fact that we expect a pause, strong markets tend to stay strong. Pauses are likely, given the uncertainty, and markets grinding higher, but volatility beneath the surface kind of shows you that everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. And so we are going to be buyers of the dips as they happen, and hopefully we get some, because we think that, you know, the market is a seller of today's sentiment. My, my analyst, Kevin Miller, always talks about this, but we may remain buyers of tomorrow's fundamentals. And, you know, what impacts sentiment today? You've got the Delta variant and slow EM vaccination rates. Well, that's scaring the reopening trade, right? But the U.S. consumer story still t stays intact, intact, and the developed economic cycle is lagging us. So we're buying internationally. We're going to where the puck's going. And we think the economic trajectory is incredibly positive despite the fact that there's some ebbs and flows based on uh, supply chain and a whole host of issues due to the reopening. But ultimately, we get to a place in the intermediate term where all of that becomes positive. It's good for earnings. It overpowers inflation. It overpowers interest rate worries. And yes, stocks are cheap to bonds. So that's where you want to be. One more thing, Scott, before we move on. The first two years of an inflationary period, if you look at all history, tend to do really well. Stocks tend to do really well in that environment. And we would expect the same here. I'm looking at things that you've done recently. You just bought Starbucks uh, mm -hmm. and you bought more Lamb Research. You want mm -hmm. to talk about both of those and why you moved into them? Yeah, so, so, so Starbucks we bought in our opportunistic equity portfolio we, we do in partnership with, with Fundstrat. Um, and we did it on the 12th about a week ago. And we really did it because we want, wanted a more uh, defensive cyclical name that's tied to the momentum of return to work in person and a strengthening labor market. Um, and we did it to replace kind of uh, 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 Schlumberger. And, you know, that's turned out to be a very good trade for us thus far. Schlumberger is down 10%. Starbucks is up 2%. That's in one week. So that's the reason we did that. That's a 10-stock portfolio, very active. Lamb Research is a little different. We own that as a long-term play in our quality growth portfolio. Um, obviously, a semiconductor stock trades at 22 times earnings, growing at 50% year-on-year. And this was an addition, not a new purchase. 3% free cash flow, um, you know, really exposure to the growth in AI, 5G, connected devices, all of which require semis. And, you know, I, I think it's just a way for us to get more growth exposure um, as, as, these, as we alleviate the, the, the kind of current chip shortage. So that's why we did those trades. Understood. So, so Jenny, I mean, do, does anybody care that we're top heavy again? Or, or we're, we certainly are moving in that direction, right? You've got money going into that, that small number of, 
of the biggest stocks in the market at the expense of a lot of the smaller ones. I mentioned the, the Russell equal weight has, has been lagging. Mike Santoli has been talking a lot about the internals of the market and what it may be suggesting. Should we care about that? Because there was a time where that's the way it was. Now we seem to be back. I, I think we should care about it. I was just looking at a chart the other day that showed that the top 10 holdings in the S&P 500 have an average multiple of still about 31 times versus their historical average of 19 times versus the broader market at 21 times. They're also taking up um, a huge part of the overall S&P 500. I don't remember this one off the top of my head, but I think it's still in the 25% range, which is just too much. And I think that that does make for a little bit of an unhealthy market. But at the same time, they're not accelerating that that. Um, proportion that they're taking up of the broader market. They're not accelerating that earnings multiple. So that part makes me feel more comfortable. So while I don't love seeing them not fade in terms of that top heaviness, because I just think it's unhealthy. You know, we were talking about breadth narrowing before. Um, I'm glad to see that it's not getting worse than it was. I also think, as Rob was saying, you know, it's kind of battling it out beneath the surface and you see everyone trying to figure out what is the next play. I know when I was on last week, we talked about um, one of the strategists telling people like, hey, knock it off on everything needing to be extreme value or extreme growth, come to the center. So I think that's just this big repositioning that's going on. I'm hopeful that we're a year from now and we look back and maybe that top part isn't 25%, maybe it's 22%. Maybe that multiple is not 30 times, maybe it's 25 times. And hopefully that happens in a really healthy way of the rest of the market coming up and earnings catching up. I don't think there's a lot of really negative risk out there because of this. I just think it's not the healthiest setup. But, but do, and again, do the you, negative risk is because the Fed's got our back. Yeah, do, do you think mm -hmm. that, are you rethinking some of the, the calls that you've made on, on the market in the past? I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, dead money Apple, I think is how you described it, right? And, you know, Apple, yeah, that, I, Apple may have been dead money to you then. I knew you were going there. Well, I mean, I go everywhere. Uh, it's, uh, it's like a one back at 150, <laughs> Jenny. So it wasn't as dead money as you thought. Well, I think, you know, I think it's all about timeframes too, because don't forget a year ago, it was at 134. So it's done very, very little in the past year. I also think when you look at what Apple's actual earnings growth is in the years ahead, it's not that exciting. Um, so, you know, you can look at the, these stocks collectively or you can look at them one by one. I don't think, I think I'm going to stand behind and I want to say something on dead money. Dead money doesn't mean it's going down. It just means it's not going to be a great return. To me, it's just, bleh, you know, not going anywhere. And I think that's still true. So it has had a pop because, you know, of course I tracked this, Scott, and I think it was on May 29th when I said that. And, uh, or sorry, yeah, <laughs> you, May or You April. just keep that in your back, you keep that in your back pocket for when, oh, I do. For when I'm going to come back to. I I'm got so you, I got you. I'm so nervous. Okay. But for real though, right? Um, Steve, you know, if you, yeah. you could have looked at a lot of these stocks and, you know, maybe, you know, there was that period of time where the fangs took that pause and you had a big push towards reopen. Mm -hmm. And then now we find ourselves back with money going into the biggest names on, on the marquee. And once those types of stocks tend to get momentum behind them, it doesn't break all that quickly. You know, it doesn't. And I don't think about that. Jenny may be concerned about it, and maybe if I thought about it for, a, for longer than a heartbeat when you mention it, I just don't care. I mean, I own a portfolio of stocks that have idiosyncratic risk and upside, and that's what I care about. And if Apple continues to trade up, and I agree with Jenny, and I own it, and you know I've got this love-hate relationship, earnings have been flat forever, revenue's been flat forever. Maybe that'll change, maybe it won't. But it's a market stock, so it's a defensive stock despite where its multiple is. 
So I, on the other hand, I'm looking at Facebook. Facebook's been an underperformer the last couple of weeks. I still own it. I'm not selling it. So that stuff doesn't really, you can drive yourself crazy looking at all these, trying to pick out the tea leaves and sort them out. If you want to do that, just go to a gypsy and, and hand her or him your palm. I think you look at, again, the quality where there are stories that are all weather stocks for the environment that you're in going forward. And I like the environment for FedEx, for example. It got sold, so you buy more. But have confidence in the multiples. In terms of inflation, I'm more concerned about it than I was now, given what Powell's comments are, that he was wrong. And I still think it's transitory in most respects, not, not wages. They are going up. By the way, they should go up. I don't think it's a great thing for Amazon to say people are making 15 bucks an hour. How do you really live on that? So wage inflation's here to stay. Wage inflation will go higher. I think if we see some of Biden's moves, they'll be terrible for the market ultimately, but short term positive because inflation, as was pointed out by John, I believe it is good in a short term mm -hmm. basis. So I'm comfortable in where I am. I wouldn't be surprised to see the market turn green today. Green today, I'm looking to redeploy in names again that have that upside by themselves, not dependent upon the market. Okay, so not too negative on the market. I mean, you've made that point uh, awfully clear. And I, I did mention right. as sort of one one of the points of interest that we're looking at is is Bitcoin and the fact that it has come down from mm -hmm. sixty thousand to thirty thousand. Whether it's going where, where it's going from here, whether it's a you know a, a keyed on the S&P 500 or not. Let's welcome in Anthony Scaramucci of Skybridge now. Uh, Anthony, welcome back. Good to be here, Scott. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, you've been on uh, numerous occasions talking about Bitcoin. You have an investment in it with your fund. I think you have an investment with it personally as well. I want you to listen to what Jeffrey Gundlach told me yesterday during our interview. You can react on the other side. It looks like a massive head and shoulders top. I'm not a big believer in head and shoulders tops, but this one looks pretty convincing. And I think by, uh, you know, it, turning neutral at 23,000 was obviously too early, but I got a feeling you're going to be able to buy it below 23,000 again. How about that, Anthony? Well, listen, he's very smart. He may be right, but I think, you know, for us, we're stepping back and looking at the 30,000 foot view and I'm looking at all the architecture that's being built around Bitcoin, the announcement by Jack Dorsey yesterday. Uh, I accept that uh, what Jeff is saying about the current Bitcoin bear market. And yes, we are in a bear market for Bitcoin if you just look at the measurements of what a bear market is. But things are moving very quickly. Uh, we could be out of a bear market in Bitcoin by the fall, Scott. Uh, we could look up at Bitcoin to be at 43, 44,000. And people say, well, look at that. And so I just think there's a supply-demand imbalance still long-term from a macro and meta perspective on Bitcoin. And so we're bullish. One of the things that we did, Scott, is we developed a UIT with First Trust. Uh, we've got 17 stocks in that UIT that are growing related to the Bitcoin and digital currency ecosystem. So those are things like Coinbase, MicroStrategy, a holder of Bitcoin, uh, stuff like PayPal, as an example, are in that UIT. Uh, that UIT is up 10, 12 percent with Bitcoin being down nine since the inception. So uh, that tells me that the macro factors are still in place and we're long term bulls on Bitcoin, but recognize that we're in a short term bear market right now. As long as the stock market is sort of sideways or stuck in the mud or fits and starts a few steps back, a few steps forward, a few steps back. Does, does Bitcoin have the same problem? 
Uh, in the near term, I think Bitcoin does. I think it, it has acted, as Jeff is suggesting, as sort of a beta proxy. Uh, people think it's tied to technology, but if you do the regression analysis, it's actually not that tied to technology. It's not super correlated. Uh, but listen, it was at 64,000 a few short months ago. It's trading in the low 30s right now. Uh, that was a blow off top, likely a lot of leverage uh, and deleveraging that took it down. But I just point out that what the financial institutions are doing in Bitcoin right now in terms of building the architecture and seeing the long term demand out there. I've said this to you before. It's worth repeating. There's probably 18 ish million Bitcoins in existence. Several million have been lost uh, in its early adoption as a result of poor storage. There are 48 to 49 million millionaires in the world, Scott. There's not enough Bitcoin for every millionaire in the world to own one Bitcoin. Uh, and that tells me that their trajectory is upward. So we're, we're long-term bullish. Uh, I think Kathy Wood is going to be right. By 2025, there'll be over a billion users. Uh, just imagine that we're at 125 million users today. It's growing exponentially the way things like Facebook and Amazon grew. So let, let's broaden it out just for, to the uh, broader market before I let you go. Um, you say you added to your growth positions at Skybridge and you're taking money away from distressed, which I think you've admitted in the past uh, was was not a great move for you. Correct. Well, what I admitted, I, I came I came on your show after the March performance debacle uh, and said that we were moving into distress. That did work. You know, the, the portfolio is up well over 30 percent from that April 1 uh, time frame. But what we're saying right now, there's not a lot of distress out there or distressed opportunities. So we're moving from distress into more growth. I think this pause in growth is creating a very good entry point for us. And so uh, we'll be adding to our technology positions and sort of what you guys would call the arc-like positions. Uh, I think this pause is a good thing, uh, but I think the long-term trend line, I think ultimately Jeff Gunlock is gonna be right you don't fight the Fed in the tape like this. That's where the growth is. And I see more gravitation towards that than anything else. Oh, interesting. OK, so when you say you're adding to growth, you're you're adding to Kathy Wood type stocks. We're not talking about Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, et cetera. You're talking about some of those higher multiple high growth Kathy Wood names. That That's what you're adding to. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And those are names that are in our UIT with First Trust. Those would be names like MicroStrategy, Coinbase, PayPal. Uh, Visa would be in there. That's a little bit more traditional. Uh, Bitfarms is in there uh, as an example. And so we're sourcing. We recognize the macro pull and the growth in cryptocurrencies, specifically Bitcoin. And we're sourcing stocks in that sleeve, if you will, so that we can take advantage of it long term for our clients. Oh, that's interesting. Um, good to talk to you, Anthony. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Good to be here. All right, that's Anthony Scaramucci Skybridge joining us today. Check out the mystery chart. It's a stock falling more than 20% in three months. One firm today named it a top pick. We're going to tell you what it is, whether you should add to it. We'll do that in our call of the day next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. 
If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. The White House COVID task force says the Delta variant is driving the U.S. surge in cases and a rise in deaths. The head of the CDC urging people to get their shots. There is a clear message that is coming through. This is becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. We are seeing outbreaks of cases in parts of the country that have low vaccination coverage because unvaccinated people are at risk. On the news, growing outbreaks and the return of mask mandates, a live report from Los Angeles on the latest measures to avoid a broader spread tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. And in Nashville, a historical marker unveiled honoring the legacy of Congressman John Lewis. It's at the site of an old Greyhound bus station where some of the Freedom Riders boarded buses to challenge segregation laws and policies. Scott, I'll send things back over to you. Okay, Dom, thank you very much, Dominic Chu. All right, let's talk about some of our calls of the day. Uber reiterated its top second-half pick at MKM, that firm maintaining its buy rating. $74 is the price target. John, you own Uber calls, three months down 22%. What do you do? Well, uh, you hold this one, Scott. Uh, $74 price target, I'd say that's about the average Uber ride these days. Um, you and I know, Scott, that... Uh, they don't have enough drivers. Uh, there's surge pricing like crazy at Uber and Lyft, quite frankly. And uh, we're going to continue to see that um, probably into at least the September time frame, Scott. So I think this is a good call. I think Uber goes back over 50, probably to about 55. I don't know about 74, uh, even though, like I say, that's probably the average fare these days. Well, Jenny's not going to be happy with this next call because it's Dow downgraded to underperform at Bank of America. All right, Jenny, what do you think of this call? I think it's like the best downgrade ever for when you're long the stock, because what they've said is that they're downgrading it and they're changing the price target to $68, right, with that downgrade. So it's trading at $60 now. They've got a $68 price target on it and it's got a 4.6% dividend yield. So you take the increase in share price that they're expecting, that's 13.5%, add the dividend yield on, like right there over the next year, you should have an 18% return. I don't even really understand why they would downgrade it to underperform other than that note goes on to say like, hey, we think it will underperform relative to other stocks. Maybe, but I like an 18% return in this. So you can look at other things like the, you know, the things based on the idea of polyethylene prices peaking. Okay, fine, polyethylene's up from 50 cents per pound at the beginning of the year to 80 cents now. That's a 60% increase. The stock's up 8%. It hasn't fully digested that. Therefore, it's probably not gonna get hammered as those prices do come down, whatever they come down to. And by the way, they might not even go back down to 50. So for a downgrade of one of my companies, I actually love this one. 
Oh, okay. All right. I always like your, your, your take <laughs> on these. Yeah. <laughs> Royal Caribbean and Norwegian reiterated overweight at J.P. Morgan. John, you have uh, uh, Carnival calls, not in these specific names, but where, where do you come down right now on the cruise lines? Um, I still think uh, that uh, there is a cadre of folks out there, Scott, that are huge fans of cruising. And the fact that they have been denied that for a very long time means that there's a lot of pent-up demand. Uh, so I think that uh, the cruises won't have to cut prices as much. Uh, obviously, something mitigating a little of this is the massive jump in diesel. You know, they're all burning uh, fuel oil or diesel uh, in those boats. And that's probably cutting back a little on the profitability side. But... Uh, I think overall, you'd like to own a little bit of all of these. And Carnival certainly the one that I've focused on, so that's the one I own. Live Nation initiated by at Goldman Sachs. Steve Weiss, you own this. Thanks, I think, to Josh Brown. I do. I do. Um, by the way, I almost had a scheduling conflict today, but I figured I'd let you hold my feet to the fire in this when I saw the, uh, you know, the, the roundup for today's show. Look, in, in terms of this, I wish I weren't on air with Josh the day that he that he preached it, but I'm still there. You know, hopefully it's going to work out. The concert season is going to get going into high gear. It already has been. Tennis has been great. The Delta variant, however, what? is pressuring this, I think, more so than many others. What do you mean? It hurts you to give credit to another committee member? Is that is that what you're suggesting? You wish you weren't on air when he pitched it? Is, is that what you're alluding to, Steve? <laughs> you're, you're, is what your I'm ego, alluding to is, is, that, ego is that, that fragile? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to give him the credit. As a matter of fact, I'm giving him the credit that I bought it at 90 when he pitched it as one of his top three. Oh, I got so, you. Okay. Take all the credit you want for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so, Scotty, you, sometimes you don't know. Scotty, yeah, you know, <laughs> I bought that on the show as well, and, and we moved out of it uh, roughly two weeks later. So. Had a different view. I'm not staying. You know, you know, the price performance of the stock looked really challenging, and uh, we stepped out of the way. It was yeah. in our top ten portfolio as well. Okay, let's do this. Let's uh, let's and take it, it. In full disclosure, yeah. I, I'm out of most of it. I've got about 25, 30 percent of the position left. All right, uh, let's do this. Let, let's take a quick break. Um, Bill Miller just released a new uh, market letter. Uh, got our hands on it here, and we're going to bring you the headlines on that next. Some interesting thoughts about where we are in the market right now, where we may be heading from here. I'll give you those details right after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Uh, new at noon, we're getting a look now at a letter that uh, Bill Miller has uh, written uh, recently as of uh, July 9th, where he talks about uh, the market environment, says, quote, the market looks broadly fairly valued to me. With most stocks priced to provide a market rate of return plus or minus a few percent, goes on to say there are pockets of what look like appreciable overvaluation and pockets of significant undervaluation in the U.S. market. In my opinion, we can find plenty of names to fill our portfolios and uh, so remain 
fully invested. Weiss, do you have any thoughts on what Bill Miller's talking about? I mean, it sort of speaks to what you guys have said. Uh, it's a stock picker's market. You have to be more choosy maybe than you, you have had to be in the past. I'm wondering specifically what's he, what he's looking at in terms of appreciable overvaluation. What do you think? I, I, you know, I, I love Bill, and uh, I'm going to ask him as soon as the show's over what he's looking at. But what I suspect is the speculative names, uh, the, some of the high flyers, like maybe the crowdsource, uh, the snowflake, where you can't possibly justify those valuations. And by the way, rates will go up, whether it's in three months or six months, they will go up. So I think Bill and I are thinking alike on this. And Bill is a great stock picker. That's how he made his name. That's how he outperformed the S&P when he had his fund with legs. So, so yeah, so I'm not surprised to hear. I'm surprised not to hear from more, actually. But I think the macro players that we have coming on, and Bill's an equity player, not so much a macro player, but people like, like Gunlock and, and my buddy Dave, you know, they're looking at bonds, they're looking at equities, and they've got this other view which says rates are so, so cheap, you have to go into equities. I don't disagree with it, but I think you need cautious to where you go in equities. You know, he, he specifically, I mean, he's the first to admit in, in, in these comments, and again, it, it's written as of, uh, I, I believe, July 9th, that he's not exactly sure where the market's going uh, in the near term. Speaking to what you're talking about, Steve, in terms of, you know, not being such a, a macro kind of guy, but he does mention some of the predictions out there of a major, what he calls the predictions of an epic market crash, whether, and he mentioned specifically Michael Bury, Jeremy Grantham, he talks Gundlock, he talks Cooperman, Druckenmiller, some people who are expecting a, a downturn in, in stocks, um, you know, that there's this great speculative bubble that some have made the argument of that I don't think, I think you can take from this that he doesn't see that as being the case that we're in some, you know, great speculative bubble, Jenny, heading towards an epic crash. I'm, I'm curious as to when he talks about stocks that are undervalued specifically, what, what area of the market do you think is the most undervalued right now? Well, I, th I think it's sector by sector where you can pick individual things out. But if you look, for example, you know, before I said the top 10 stocks are trading at about 31 times, and then you take the portfolio that I manage, for example, which is an equity income, you know, dividend-based strategy, the forward multiple on that right now is 12.6 times. And as you know, because I've mentioned some of the things that we've bought recently, it's companies like New York Community Bank Corp., Clearway Energy, Medical Properties Trust, H&R Block, Dow, which we just mentioned earlier, you all know I own AT&T and Verizon, and collectively, these come up to a 12.6 times forward multiple, like that's crazy. And when you look at them, their forward earnings are actually growing in the high single digits range, and their dividends are growing. So I think that's what he's talking about, but I don't think, and again, this goes back to stock pickers market, don't use broad brush strokes. I think if you pick individual stocks from individual sectors, there's tremendous opportunity out there right now. And I'm right there with Bill, which is there's no shortage of stocks to buy. They might not be as robust as they were last July or you know May when it was like shooting fish in the barrel, but there's tons to buy out there that's not stretched and not overvalued. For me, I like those because those have a bigger um, margin of safety on them. I feel like if you buy something at 12 times earnings that also has real earnings growth, a lot can go wrong in the broader market if the bears are right and I'm not going to get as badly hurt. I might actually even do well. So I think that's what he's talking about, where there's undervalue. Individual okay. Scott, the bias, scattered throughout. The, the, people, the, the people that you mentioned have a very significant bias. 
I've known Lee for 30 years. He's been a value player forever. He's been talking about the market being fully valued for years. Barry, Barry made his name being short sure. during the housing cycle. Stan, again, is a macro player. So I'm not saying there aren't equity players saying the same thing, but the loudest voices but, but, have that but, bias. But Steve, they're doing things. I talked to Lee this morning. He, while he may have higher yep. cash than he typically has, there is still a lot to do. And, and, and he's doing that. He, everybody's being surgical. I mean, I think, you know, you have a lot of people that see value in idiosyncratic stocks. And, you know, just because the headline, headliners in the market might seem a little pricey relative to history, I agree with Bill that there's a lot of opportunity kind of beneath the surface with the volatility that we're seeing. And if you look at energy, you look at financials, those are sectors that are cheap. Yes, consumer discretionary is expensive, but those other areas are cheap. And if you get into a rising rate environment, when you have the financials, you have a tug of war between rates and, and capital markets activity that's that's accelerating. Rates are winning. They're killing the earnings. I, I, I get so nice. I'm sorry, you got you got to hold your thought. I got sorry, I got I got to bounce for a commercial. We're going to come back. Dr. J, get your unusual activity ready because I'm coming to you right after this. All right, Dr. J, what do you got for us? All right, Scott. Well, uh, you know, kidney disease and treating people was what my dad was all about. And AstraZeneca has a treatment for anemia that just had a very successful late stage trial. Um, so cheers to them. Uh, stock was $57 this morning, Scott. We saw people buying aggressively the December 60 calls in AZN. AstraZeneca. Uh, I think this uh, portfolio of drugs that they've got, as well as future drugs like this one, are why you want to own this one. I bought those calls. Second one is uh, Home Depot trade. This is for next Friday, a week from today, the 23rd of July expiration, 325 calls. That was just in the money this morning. I like that. Uh, obviously, retail sales have been just stellar of late. And I think Home Depot will also report some stellar numbers. I will be long this one for probably three or four days into next week, Scott. Okay, Dr. J, we appreciate that very much. Ask Halftime is coming up next. Send your questions in by video. We will play it on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. All right, let's answer your questions now. Jenny, I'm coming to you first from Sergio in Toronto, Canada. I bought medical properties after it was mentioned on the show. A dollar cost average a couple of times, but I'm down 8%. Should I continue to buy it now or just hold it? What do you think? Well, it does always stink when you're down a little right off the bat, so that doesn't feel good. But this is the kind of stock where you shouldn't pay attention to that. You should buy it and set it and forget it. The reason I bought it was because they've consistently grown earnings in the 8% range and grown the dividend by 3.5%. So I look at it as something, if I can hold it for two, three, four, five years, I'm going to get, on average, a return that should be commensurate with earnings, 8%. And a five and a quarter percent dividend yield on top of that. If I can get an annualized return of 13 plus percent, I think I'm doing really well. I do not think you should be looking at this on such a short term basis. All right. MPW up one percent uh, as we're having this conversation. All right. Weiss, Glenn in Highland Park, California has a bone to pick with you, my friend. He says for Steve Weiss, I bought <laughs> Boozy and Jumia each time you recommended. Both stocks are down big. Should I sell, hold or buy more? Thanks. It's got to be a half hearted thanks, I think. But what's the answer? Yeah. Uh, well, look, I'm glad you're 3,000 miles away from me. I'm not going to run into you on the street. <laughs> look, I've been very clear on both these, on both these names, which is that they're highly speculative. I've still got positive uh, 
positive returns in these names. Uh, I had mentioned I cut back and specifically said it's not the kind of market for these stocks. Vuzi's at 100 times earnings, but the company's doing extremely well. So 100 times revenue, excuse me, they have no earnings. So it's no different in my mind than CrowdStrike, than Snow, than some of the others. So you got to control them. You can either be a stock analyst or a company analyst. What I do is I'm a stock analyst, and those aren't the right stocks for this market. Long-term future is still very, very bright, but I don't know how much money you'll make in the short term. Okay. Dr. J, to you from Bill in Connecticut, my question is for John. A few weeks ago, you bought Clean Energy Fuels Corp. during the show. Was this a Reddit trade for you? Mm -hmm. Are you in this long term? I've been in since $2.74, $2.74, and I'm long. What do you see for the future of this company? Thank you. I would hold this one here, Scott. Um, it has had a big slide in the last month. And if you compare it to like LNG, um, this is like they're both natural gas plays. And I think um, LNG is a lot less volatile, but uh, CLNE is a Reddit favorite. And I like it after this big sell-off. Uh, I wish I would have uh, had his advice and bought it at 274, but I like it here in the mid-sevens as well. All right, it's going positive on the day, too. All right, Rob Seachin, Sam in St. Louis. I'm trying to balance my portfolio. Is now a bad time to jump into the Russell mid-caps, the IWR. Looks like it's about ready to trend down. We, we talked a lot, Rob, at the beginning of this program about Russell unper underperformance. I think it persists, actually, for a little bit. It doesn't mean in the intermediate term that I wouldn't be a buyer, but I'd wait a bit. I prefer the large caps right now, especially as you're starting to see this cyclical reopening in their exposure to some of that growth overseas. So I would rather see you do some large cap. Okay. We're out for two minutes, then we're back with Final Trades. Let's do Final Trades. Rob Seachin, I'm coming to you. By the way, Lee Cooperman heard his name mentioned on the show. He emailed me. He said he wants to come on next week. He's got a lot to say. So we're having Lee on next week. I'll, I'm trying to just figure out exactly the, exactly the day. But Lee Cooperman with us next week on the Halftime Report. Give me your quick final trade. Yeah, Starbucks. Consumer reopening trade remains intact while the industrial reopening takes a breather. Thanks, Scott. All right. Thank you. Jenny. Medical Properties Trust, 5% dividend deal. Okay. Oh, sorry, I said the wrong one. Clearway Energy, 5%. Clearway Energy. Okay, quick. Weiss, just a name, dock a name. Porsche. Coles. All right, KSS. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University. You'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.